uh, let's pray. Actually, let's read first. Matthew 23. We'll read verses 1 through 12. And then we'll pray and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we know, Lord, that the, uh, the sin that goes least confessed in our lives is pride. We talk about all kinds of other sins, and, and Lord, we just confess to you this morning, it's the human pride, Lord. Um, human pride that rejects you. Human pride that rejects your, your word in our lives. Uh, human pride that elevates ourselves and puts down others. Lord, we are disgusted with ourselves. Um, Many times, Lord, when we, when we come face to face, when we look in the mirror of your word, when we see your son, when we see your character, Lord, that the king of kings was also the servant of servants. It just amazes us, Lord, and it's so against what, what we have learned growing up. It's so against what we have learned uh, culturally, Lord. We need you this morning to apply this word to our hearts, not just to our minds, that we would believe it and do it and understand it, and put faith in it, and that we would be transformed, Lord. We want to be uh, servants, and be satisfied in you, Lord. I pray that you would do that work in our lives to a greater degree than yesterday. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we all kind of imagine in our, in our minds that, that Jesus will have Wonderful words for us when we see him face to face. You know, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And many of us will, and I'm, and I'm not saying that we won't. Uh, but not everybody will. Not everybody will. And, and Matthew 23, if you've read it, maybe you've read ahead, it's a powerful chapter. Those of you that have pictures in your mind of Jesus kind of with the lamb and very delicate and very timid and almost mousy, you know, he's, he's thin and he doesn't look like he'd harm a fly, well, Matthew 23 gives us a different picture of Jesus. He is a picture of Jesus speaking very hard words to a group of people. Very difficult, very challenging words to a group of religious people. Uh, Seven times he pronounces a woe. And you stand back and go, whoa, that's a lot of woes in in this chapter. Uh, 
it's not a, it's not a seeker-friendly sermon. It's not a feel-good sermon. Uh, but it hits the point perfectly. The point is, we say sometimes, fake it till you make it. This chapter would be called, if you fake it, you won't make it. If you fake it, you won't make it. So we've read uh, kind of this first section. I would encourage you to read the rest of it. And you have to know, just turn over, before we get into the first verse, just turn over to, uh, or look down at verse 37. Because Jesus is not writing them off. This is not, he's not um, disgusted with them personally and individually. He loves them. And sometimes love disciplines, right? Sometimes love says, hey, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing can't continue. And he has been begging and pleading and ministering to these Pharisees, to these religious people whose hearts were hard, whose eyes were closed to the truth. They weren't interested in Jesus. Matter of fact, they envied him because he was something that they weren't. He was genuine. He said what he said and then he did it as well. He lived what he spoke. And they knew in their hearts that they weren't doing that. And so that made them, instead of made them, making them repent, it made them angry. And, but look at verse 37. This is the end of this difficult, uh, strong passage uh, sermon, really, by Jesus. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under, his wings, under her wings, but you were not willing. See, that's the heart of Christ in this whole passage. Jesus would look at them, just like he looks around, he looks at some of your relatives, look at, looks at the people you work with, looks at uh, you know, those that you know that have gone astray, and, and Jesus says to them, oh, how long I've wanted to gather you, like a mother hen gathers her chicks. That's what God wants. That's what Jesus wants. And this is, uh, this is where this whole passage is going. So verse 1 of chapter 23 Jesus speaks to the multitudes and to his disciples. So there's, there are a variety of people. There are a multitude of people. The disciples are listening. And some of this is going to be instructive for them. But I'm sure there are these religious guys also in the, uh, in the, the crowd as well. So he says to them, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do but do not do according to their works. So the first thing he says is, look, these guys, they, they are carrying on a tradition in some ways. They sit in Moses' seat, meaning that uh, we've heard, we know the word chairman, or you sit in the, 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 the chair seat. And that just means it's a chair that is maybe in an education department. Maybe there's the, the Isaac Newton chair of physics or mathematics. And that's the, the person that's the chairman of that department carries on the authority from previous, all the way back to Isaac Newton. You know, that he's sitting in that same chair, meaning holding that position. And these scribes and the Pharisees, they were teachers. They were experts in what the Word of God said. They knew it inside, outside, upside down. They gave their life to studying it. And they commanded, because of that, tremendous respect. Who are the people in our culture we respect? Well, they're the ones that do what we honor, that do the things we, uh, we appreciate. Uh, for instance, maybe for us, it's athletes. Uh, wow, to be able to run that far or jump that high or to do that thing. Man, and, and we'll flock to see them and cheer them on because we respect what they do. 
and, and, or maybe it's uh, people that act. Actors, actresses, we, we flock to the movie theaters, we see them, we appreciate how they can make us believe a story. And you forget, you lose yourself in the movie because uh, you know, they're so good at what they do. In their culture, you know what was highly respected? The Word of God. To them, the people that studied the Word of God were the movie stars. Were, were like to us, the movie stars or the athletes. They were the ones that, man, these people can command huge amounts of respect. Because of what they did for a living. They studied and they knew and they understood God's word. So they sit in Moses' seat. And therefore, when they're teaching you, from, when they tell you, hey, keep the Sabbath. When they tell you, hey, you know, uh, love God with all your heart. When they tell you these things, do that. That They're right in what they tell you. But he said, don't imitate their example. What was their example? They don't practice what they preach. And that was the problem with them. They, they, they tell you. But then they don't do. They say and they do not do. Now at home, I can be a real Pharisee. I'm good at policing my house and, and letting everybody know how they should clean up and what needs to be, you know, these things need to go back on the shelf and you need to pick up your clothes and your books need to go back and get the laundry up. And, and I can be a real Pharisee in commanding, but then, they'll ca- then I leave my shoes out, you know. And then, so they go, oh, Dad, you left the shoes out. Oh, yeah, and then I come up with some excuse why. You know, I was going to put them right back on, I promise. You know, I, was gonna, I was getting ready to go back outside. See, I'm good at telling people in my home what to do and how to clean up, but then I struggle to do it myself. And see, that, that was them. They were, they were more drill instructors than aerobics instructors. You guys have seen the, the shows, or maybe you've been in the military. There's the drill instructor, and he's there barking the orders and telling everybody what to do and usually just walking around, you know, the group as they're doing push-ups. But the aerobics instructor, what does the aerobics instructor do? Stands up front and shows everybody what it's supposed to look like. And I've, I've, only, I've done like one aerobics class in my life. It's very embarrassing. Very, very embarrassing. Uh, it's not for me. But the, I appreciate that about the aerobics instructor, that they're in the front leading by example. See, these guys were more like drill instructors than aerobics instructors. They were good at telling people what to do, but you couldn't imitate them. Because they weren't doing it themselves. How is it for you? Are you a, do you practice what you preach? Are you good at telling others what the Christian life is supposed to look like? Moms and dads, can I make an, a, spe, a special plea to you? That it's very, very important to the, to the spiritual lives of your children. That you live consistently at home and at church. So many people, this is their complaint. Uh, kids that have grown up in church, pastors' kids are, are well known for this. Hey, dad says this from the pulpit, but then he comes home and it's a whole different story. And your kids come with you to church and they hear us saying these things and they see us doing these things. And, oh, praise the Lord, oh my soul, you know, and, and all that is within me. And then at home, it's a whole different story. And so here, moms and dads, it's going to be very hard for you to disciple your kids if you're not a disciple yourself. It's going to be hard for for you to tell your kids, hey, don't listen to that music when you're listening to that music. Are you a parent that says, hey, do as I say, not as I do? They should be able to, you know, the Apostle Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So something to be real careful about, isn't it? So this was an issue with them. They would preach, but they wouldn't practice. And that was something that, so Jesus says to them, don't do what they do. Don't imitate their works. What do they do? Verse 4 tells us. They bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, 
but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. You know, th- what Jesus is getting down to is a level of motive for these people. And we'll see that as we go. It's not that they're trying and failing. Look, and please, I, I want this group to understand, you know, we all fall short daily. And it's not about being perfect. What it's about is being honest regarding our imperfections. See, not only did they teach, but then they pretended to be perfect. What God is looking for is confession. What he's looking for is repentance. And we'll talk about that at the very end. So here's the thing. They would tell people do more push-ups, more push-ups, more sit-ups, more sit-ups. And then when people would get crushed under the load, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, 613... They take the word of God, they take ten, ten commandments and, and the first five books and they break this down into 613 specific commandments. And then, so like to keep the Sabbath, here are all the things, there's a whole list like volumes of what it means to keep the Sabbath or what it means, uh, you know, to bear a burden on the Sabbath. And they got this all broken, it's just so hard to keep it. And yet they would be demanding it. It was just weighing down people. And look, this is the beautiful thing about walking with Christ, isn't it? We walk in the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's liberty. I don't want to create a bunch of hoops that people have to jump through. A bunch of do this and do that. You got to do that. You can't do that. You can't wear this. You can't say that. I don't want all that stuff because it's a burden. Any of you ever felt uh, religion to be a burden? You ever been in that place where there's just a bunch of rules and you just go, I can't even keep them. So they would give all these rules. They couldn't keep them themselves. And people would just be crushed under all the rules. And then when they saw people crushed, they, didn't, they were unmoved by that. They, they didn't have any compassion for people. They didn't care about people. They cared about themselves. But they, they were, mind, didn't mind putting more and more weight on people. And here's the real kicker. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on men's shoulders. They won't move them with one of their fingers. And verse 5 is a huge key. You can underline this. This is a, a real telltale sign. All their works. How many of their works? All their works. Through and through. They do to be seen by men. Now we know what's behind it. This was their interest. Their focus was on what people were seeing. I did a little research uh, on the internet, which is always a dangerous thing. I found a, um, there's a, a makeover show called How Do I Look? I, I've not seen it, uh, but I happened to do a search for the, because the, we ask ourselves, hey, how do I look? You know, you put on a new outfit, you get some new shoes, hey, how do I look? And so this makeover show is called How Do I Look? And it, they take people that just dress horrendously and they make them over, dress them up nice and you know, they take the worst picture of them possible before and then they take this, you know, beautiful picture of them afterwards and see how much better they look. And here's the next time someone asks you the question, how do I look? Here's what I want you to ask them. To whom? To whom? How do I look to who? I mean, who is my audience? How do I look to you? How do I look to the people in church? Or how do I look to God? You see, those can be two different things, right? Now, I'm not saying, you know, this is not about how you should dress on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. That's what's really important. We can spend hours and hours and all kinds of money on making sure that we look good to men. But how much time in your life are you spending working on that relationship with God? How do you look to Him? Just as David wrote, Search me, O God, and know my 
apart. He doesn't say, look at me, O God, and see my outfit. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. All that they did, they did to be seen by men. And we live that, don't we? I mean, this is what we drive sometimes is to be seen by men. And we choose labels that other people will notice. We do all kinds of things intentionally because we want other people to notice. Even in church, we get into that thing. Uh, We want people to see that we're involved in this ministry. We want people to notice me setting up chairs. We want people to see me serving. And, you know, we make some noise, extra noise. And and then when, you know, when certain people, when the elders walk by or a pastor walks by, or, oh, you know, got to make sure they notice me doing this. Got to make sure when I'm at prayer meeting, I say, hey, by the way, yes, I was doing this wonderful thing the other day. And we just have this thing about being noticed by people. And I'm just praying, you know, I struggle with that. Just praying that God would just eradicate that in my life. And that really, you know, all things are naked and open before the Lord. You know, he is, he, that's who you, you live in front of, but not them. Who were they living to be seen by? To be seen by men. They were more concerned with what people thought. Matter of fact, in John chapter 12, you can look this up later, John tells us they loved the praise of men more than the praise from God. It was all a show. Is your life a show? Because we're not, we're not immune to this. Is your Christian life a show? I mean, or, or is there something of substance there? Or is there a reality in your life that you know, it's not just about what people see or what people think, but really who you are is who you are when no one is looking, right? That's really who you are. That's really what you believe is what you do when no one is looking. Do you really believe in prayer? Then you'll pray home alone rather than just in a group prayer. Do you really love to praise the Lord in song? Then you'll praise the Lord in song at home. God will put a song in your heart, not just when you're corporately with the congregation. How do they, what did it look like for them to be seen by men? Well, they got these things called phylacteries. Say that ten times fast. Uh, These were interesting things. It comes from the Old Testament when God had said to them to bind the word of God as frontlets between their eyes and on their forearms. And it's in Deuteronomy. Um, and they took that literally in the most literal sense. And what they do is they wear these little leather boxes or big. In their case, they'd make them big. They wear them with a strap around their forehead. And if you've seen pictures of the Orthodox Jews, they right here on their forehead, they got this big leather black box. And in there, they have copies, little teeny tiny scrolls with the Word of God, certain verses from God's Word on them. And then they strap one onto their forearm and they wrap it all around with leather straps, and it's got to wrap a certain way, and it's a very ritualistic kind of thing, and it's on their arm. And that's what they thought God meant when he said, I want you to bind the word as frontlets between your eyes. And these guys would make sure everybody knew that they were being pious. They had on their phylacteries. It'd be the equivalent today of wearing a big t-shirt that says, I love Jesus, bumper stickers, and that carried a great big Bible. So that everybody sees you got your Bible with you. But then never cracking it open. Never living anything in it. But, but being seen. So they had these huge phylacteries. And uh, they made these, these tassels. It says the, they enlarged the borders of their garments. Again, more outward stuff. More outward things. Anybody can put on a suit. Anybody can put on a, a thing on their forehead. Anybody can put a bumper sticker on their car that says, I love Jesus. What else did they love? Verse 6 says they love the best places at the feast, 
the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. They love the titles, they love the honor. It was all about them, wasn't it? They loved to be, the best seats in the synagogue were the ones that actually faced the congregation. And you still see that in some churches today. You go into the church and there's um, all the elders sit in seats behind the, the podium or, and, and that's where they, they sit. Those would be considered the best seats because that was a position of honor. And everybody would see you sitting in a position of honor. And they love titles. Just, you know, uh, Joe Foch from Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia says he can always tell when someone new comes to Calvary Chapel, comes to his church, because they'll say, oh, are you Reverend Foch? And they'll say, you must not be around from around here. You must not have been here before because, you know, that's one of those titles. Reverend means the one who is to be revered. Don't call me Reverend Fedden, please. I struggle with Pastor Steve. Pastor means shepherd. Well, you know, I don't call you sheep. You know? Hey, Sheep Coonan, good to see you this morning. You know, elder so-and-so, bishop so-and-so. And I understand th- those are titles of respect, and I, and I understand that. The problem with them was not just that they had the title. The problem was they loved the title. And we know the difference, isn't it? You know, when we have to write those, make sure that we write that after our name, you know, Steve Fedden, Reverend, Pastor, right right reverend theologian or whatever it is, you know, got to make sure people know because I want people to respect my position and my authority. What did Jesus have, to have after his name? I think the, after his name was his title was Christ, the anointed one who was crucified, who was a servant. I love that about Jesus. So they love all, they, hey, are, you're, you're the pastor, oh, you come, you come and sit right up here in the front, or you get the best seat here at the, the dinner. Oh, thank you very much, oh, thank you very much, no, thank you, oh, no, thank you. But you do not be called rabbi for one is your teacher, the Christ, the ultimate teacher. Now, this doesn't make, so is what I'm doing here in teaching this morning, is that wrong? No, one of the gifts of the Spirit is, is to be a teacher. That's a gift in the body. It's for the, it's for the benefit and the blessing of the body. The point is, ultimately, I can't teach you anything outside of what Christ is teaching you personally. All I can do is read what's in here and try to help you understand, but if, but if Christ isn't teaching you in your heart, then, then this is fruitless, that what I'm doing is, is useless. So there was only one called teacher, and that's the Christ but verse 11 says, oh, I'm sorry, let me, let me go back. One is your teacher, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. Again, we see that happen today, right? There are those that are called father. Now, we have biological fathers, and that Jesus isn't saying don't call your... Bi-. We're not talking about biological fathers. Again, you have to understand these rabbis were considered in highest, higher esteem than a person's biological parents. And they would have more respect even than that. And so they were just, they were so elevated. But Jesus, the point is right here when he says that you are all brethren. That that is in uh, verse 8 there. He says, and and you're all brethren. The idea is that, look, whether I said, if if I have the gift or the calling to be a teacher and you have the calling to change diapers in the nursery and another one has the calling to run the soundboard and someone else has the calling to, to tow a trailer, we are all the same. One in the body of Christ. Look, the body is a body. Which is the most important part of your body? Well, one part might say it's the most important. You know, 
Aesop has a fable about how the, the mouth got mad at the stomach because they, they didn't think the stomach was that important. And everybody, all the rest of the body was mad at the stomach and so the stomach said, okay, I'll stop doing my job. And the body learned real fast that they needed the stomach. And that's the point Jesus is making is that, look, we're a body and we are all one. And there's no one part of the body that's to be exalted above. I just, you know, really, I feel like one, I'm just one of you guys. I'm just the one that gets to make a fool out of himself more often and more publicly than the rest. When I make a mistake, everybody knows it, right? Everybody sees it. You know, if, if, if you don't change the diaper quite right, only the parents know when, you get, when they get home. They go, this is backwards, you know? But when I foul up, everybody hears it when I make a mistake or mis- mince my words or whatever. But we're all, I'm one of you guys. I'm learning from Christ just like you're learning from Christ, right? So I'm not to be exalted. This is a struggle in the current church because we have this pastor elevation thing going on. We're, oh, well, they had the same thing in Corinth. Well, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm, I like this. I'm, I listen to this station or I'm, I'm of Chuck Smith or I'm of Skip Heitzig or whatever, you know, Charles Stanley. We look. It's not wrong to, to like different teachers, but don't exalt them as if they're somehow closer to God or inhuman. Paul said in 1 Corinthians to address this issue, he said, look, all we are is servants. All I can do is plant, and all Charles Stanley can do is water, but who brings the increase? God. God can only, only God can make it grow. You can plant that seed in your garden and you can water it, but can you make it grow? You can't make it grow. You can beg. You can sing to it. You can fertilize it. And all that is good. And that's what we do. But, but in that seed is all the information for growth. All the DNA. And if that wasn't in there, there's nothing you could do. And that's what pastors are. And that's what Bible teachers are. We are, we are servants. Is what Paul said. He got it. He understood what Jesus was saying. So, verse 11. And here's the, the we're getting to the crux of the whole matter here. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I had you mark Luke 18. I will let Jesus explain this for himself. Luke 18 describes the problem here. And, exa- and gives an example, a parable of this very thing. Luke 18, look at verse 9. Are you there? Everybody there? Just shake your head if we're there. Yeah. Good, okay. Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So a double problem, people that, hey, said they looked at themselves, they said, I'm I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good guy. And they looked at others and said, they're not so good. I don't really like hanging out with them. Because the danger of religion, the danger that these these guys had is that they looked very highly at themselves. They thought because they were keeping these rules, because they were the right stuff, that they were somehow better than other people. Better than other people. Were they better than other people? All of us created in the image of God. So he says, two men, verse 10, this is a parable, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, just like the guys we're speaking of, and the other a tax collector. Tax collectors hated people. Well, no, they, they were hated people. Let me clarify that. They were hated by other people. These were the IRS agents. They came knocking for money. He said, I'm already paying so much taxes. I'm already paying too much, and you want more from me. 
And the tax collectors were so crooked because whatever they collected, Rome would require them to collect a certain amount. Whatever they collected above and beyond that, they got to keep. So if Rome, if I had to collect from George $100 for Rome, I would come and say, George, I want $250. And he'd say, what? $250? That's outrageous. I'd say, okay, no problem, $300. And then you'd, you'd you know, zip it right away and you'd say, okay, what can you do? There's no recourse. And so the tax collector gave the $100 to Rome and pocketed the two. So you think tax collectors were well-liked in the community? You think they got the best seats in the synagogue? You think they got the best places at the feasts? No way. People hated their tax collectors. So these two go up to the temple. They're both going to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed with, with himself. He's not talking to God. He says, God, even though he says God, he's not talking to God. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. So the first thing he says, he's so self-absorbed and he's so confident in his own law-keeping and and what he's doing, he's so skewed, he says, boy, God, you're lucky to have me on your team. Man, you are, you know, the day I got saved, I'll bet that was the luckiest day of heaven that ever happened in heaven. I mean, what a blessing to the angels that I am saved. Wow. Beautiful thing. And you know, look how good I am. And I, I'm not like those. You ever said that? Well, I might not be perfect, but I'm not like those people in jail. We're guilty of that, aren't we? Well, I'm not like one of those people. Be careful, Christian. I'm not, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like that lady's husband. You know, or I'm not like that guy's wife. Be careful, Christian. You have, you're walking on dangerous territory. Or even he points out this tax collector. Well, he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So he even has his, he's able to list off. I've been going to Bible study for the last 12 years of my life. And I've not missed a Sunday. I even went to church when they switched to a hot and steamy, poorly acoustical indoor track. I still went. When other people, they, they just did, they didn't. We can look at all of our works. And that's what he says. Now, and that's why he thinks he's right with God. So then the tax collector, what do we see him doing? Verse 13. The tax collector, where did he stand? He stood far off. Notice that. He would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. He, could, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up. Do you get a feeling that that's sort of a posture of shame? I think he was ashamed. Which one you think had a more real, realistic view of themselves? I think the tax collector had a realistic view of himself. He stood far, he wouldn't even raise his eyes, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, the people that day would have thought the Pharisee was the one with, that was right with God. I mean, he's tithing, he's fasting. He knows the Bible. He's, he's diligent to keep everything that God said. But which one goes up to his house justified? Verse 14, I tell you that this man, who? The tax collector, is the one that's right with God. And there we have our connection back to Matthew. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So there's the definition of what it looks like. The one who is proud. And this is where our pride gets us, folks. And, and we're going to close with this. I love to see mega church. I love to see people at Billy Graham Crusades walking down. And I love to see people in this fellowship 
coming down or, or even where you're sitting to receive Christ as your Savior. But where, and this is what my heart as a pastor longs to see, people like this tax collector. That, are, that when you are honest with yourself, when you recognize the sin in your life, that's what humbles you. It's not pretending, oh yeah, we got this false humility thing going on in the church. You pray, oh, I'm no good. We got the whole Eeyore theology, you know. Woe is me. I'm just a, a, a wretched sinner. You know, and it's, all, and it, it, it's false humility. Because when you do that, you're drawing attention to yourself. Because you want people to see that you think you're a wretched sinner. No, no, I'm no good. It's not me, it's the Lord, you know. But what God is looking for, back to Matthew 23, this, that, and the one who is great is the one who is confident because he knows he's a servant or she's a servant. That's all. That's all I want to be in life. I don't want to be someone greatly recognized. I don't want to have a great reputation. I don't need a bunch of titles. Paul would say, my title, I'm a bond servant. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. That's your title, friends. You want a title? There you go. Just call yourself, look in the mirror, say, slave. Bond servant of Jesus Christ. And then you humble yourself, how? By recognizing, beating your breast, saying, Lord, I know. When I look at my life, man, I fall so far short. So I know we're all running with sweat now, uh, the end of this sermon. So I will close with that. But as we close with the final song, and, and um, uh, this is what the Lord is looking for. Not bigger churches, although that is fine. Not more wonderful music, although that's great. Not, you know, thousands of programs and, and all that is good. But it's got to start. Here's what God is looking for. Who's he looking to lift up? The humble. Who was the most humble of all? Jesus Christ, who made himself of no reputation. He didn't care what people knew or thought about him. He became a servant. And who's the one that got most exalted? Jesus Christ, the greatest lifted up. So, let's close with a song, and then we will have uh, fellowship over here, more ice water, and uh, be able to cool down a bit. Anyway, let's pray, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, end the service. Father, again, we thank you that... Um, you have been among us, Lord, that, that your word can cut through uh, heat and, um, and get right to our hearts. Lord, I pray that that has happened, that your word would not return void, that, um, that something from your word has touched our hearts, Lord. We don't want to be hypocrites. We want to be genuine in our, in our failures as well as our successes, Lord. Not just present what looks good to people, but present ourselves honestly, Lord. I pray that homes would be genuine, that our church would be genuine, um, and I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You are excused.